Welcome to the River Bluff Church Sermon Podcast. For more information about us, please visit riverbluff.org. Good morning, River Bluff. My name is Kurt Bradford, and I'm part of the River Bluff Church family. Just like you, I'm praying for Pastor Joe to get back to full health in teaching again. And until that time, until he's back with us, several teachers and preachers are going to be here to open God's Word every Sunday. First teacher preacher is John Henry Cochran, my Irish friend and brother in Christ now for several years. John Henry began ministry in Ireland and then moved to the U.S. to serve on staff at Calvary Chapel in California. He relocated a few years ago to Edisto Beach, and now he's very active as teaching and speaking and filling in and a member of Edisto Beach Baptist Church. I consider him to be a wonderful kingdom resource who humbly serves wherever he is needed. We're blessed to have him and share today with River Bluff. So would you please welcome John Henry Cochran. Thank you, Kurt. (laughs) Hey, it's a blessing to be here. Good morning, River Bluff Baptist Church. And it's a joy to be here with you today. Wow, you guys have got great worship. That was so wonderful. You know, whenever you see ta- talent, yes, praise God. Talent, talent like that. But sometimes talent, I find, you know, I'm Irish, I like music and everything. And talent can take you off in that direction. And you, you're not really worshiping. You're just going, whoa, listen to that guy. Oh, oh gee, um, Tyler, Kyler on the guitar there sounded to me like there was a band in Ireland, no, in England, uh, and uh, they were the Shadows. Some of you might have heard of them. There was a song they had called Apache. When you go home, look up the shadows, Apache. And uh, boy, when Kyler was playing the guitar there, I was going, whoa, man, it sounded like, you know, Cliff Richard's band back in England. And then, I, oh, I'm sorry, my dear, her first name is gone. But what a great last name, Zapata. <laughs> and you ever heard of Emiliano Zapata, famous Mexicano revolutionary? Oh, big story there. But anyway, wow, the talent. But just you just felt we were worshiping the Lord, so and that's the most important thing, isn't it? You know that we come here to worship God and to thank Him, and uh, and not because we have to, because we get to and we love to to worship Him and thank Him for who He is. And I would like to say too a very special thank you. Uh, we were just listening to Kurt Bradford. And um, it's not because Joyce is here somewhere with us, his wife. I have to be careful what I say now. At the first service, I also said this, and I truly mean it. Uh, 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 I I love this man. I think you do too, right? I mean, he was a pastor here, I think, for many years, and he's been just such a friend to me, a godsend to me, and a man that I love dearly, and I only know a short time. But we kind of are like, birds of a feather, and there was a connection from minute one. And I'm so grateful to Kurt, you know, for these opportunities to proclaim God's holy word. It's the joy of my life, really. It's more than anything else in my life. I love to proclaim his holy word. So a special thank you to my dear brother Kurt and Heide Joyce. And, you know, uh, I want to give you guys some really good news, you know, about your pastor, Joe Still. There's another song you can look up if you have time, Joe Hill. <laughs> I think he was an Irishman. There's a song, Joe Hill. Anyway, maybe, stop that, John Henry. Okay, Lord, get on with the business here. 
Uh, but anyway, um, I'm going to, we're going to pray for him. I'd love to do that before I do anything because I wouldn't be here only for him. And let me tell you something. I really appreciate it when you, a pastor hands his pulpit over to you. That's a big deal. You know, I pastored in Chuck Smith, had me speak for him when he was out of town Wednesday nights and Sunday mornings and things through the years, and it was always a blessing. But also when I pastored my own church in the Bay Area, San Francisco, I was very wary of who would come and stand in. I mean, it's really important, you know, and uh, it's just such an honor. So a big thank you to Joe, and if you see him or meet him, which you will be doing, of course, now because he's doing so well, that you let him know that John Henry really appreciated being in his pulpit today. Uh, But I have great news for you, because all his scripture says, all will be well, all will be exceedingly well. Everything's going to be fine. You know how I know? (laughs) Because in 2018... Uh, we live in Newport Beach, right on the beach there, and you go out of the house to the back of the house, and I'd go walking in the evening. And I was walking this evening, and I was even heavier than I am right now, and I've noticed I can't button this again, so I must be deteriorating at a speed of knots. But at any rate, I went boom, down. And uh, I was there, obviously, for hours. I didn't, I don't, however long, I don't know, but when I came to, anyway, the old heart, you know, the old ticker, and they rushed me off, and I had all the business done, and good news for you and for Joe, I'm still here. <laughs> well, it's good news for me anyway, let me tell you that. But all that to say this, all this to say that, it's great. Joe's going to be fine. I'm going to be right back here real soon with you, and I, was, I'm, I'm, I want to I just pray for him, and I want to share something about that. Um, First of all, Lord, we just bow right now. I'm, I'm so honored, Lord, to be here, to have this opportunity to speak to the folk, Lord, here in River Bluff Church. Well, I pray for your anointing on it, Lord, that you'll be in the whole thing, the beginning to the end. But Lord, we're especially right now, thank you for Pastor Joe and for the rich blessing, Lord, he has been and is and will continue to be in the uh, days, weeks, months, and years out from now as he leads your people here. So strengthen him now, Lord, as he's done amazingly well. You've answered the prayers of your people. On from strength to strength, Lord, that all will truly be well and exceedingly well. He'll be back here in no time at all. And so bless his wife, Lord, uh, Kathy, and I think Caitlin and Taylor and all the family and all the folk here concerned about him. Give them all great peace now, Lord, and great trust that all will be well. And we thank you, Father. Uh, And Lord, we'd ask you, Lord, that... um, you would bless as well uh, uh, our brother, Lord, Kurt, and thank you for him, Lord, and the opportunity to be here today and bless him and, and Joyce. And again, Lord, thank you now for what you want to do here today. Uh, we leave it to you. We give it to you. And we ask but that you would be in it and that, Lord, you're anointing upon it as we are here, Lord, with one purpose, to worship you, to praise you, to give you glory, and to hear from you today. Won't you let it be so, Father? In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's family said? Did I hear an amen? Amen. Amen. Brothers and sisters, I would like to tell you it's an interesting thing, but I was listening to Pastor Joe on the message he gave. I think it was the 16th. So not last Sunday, but the one before. Because I wanted to just get a little measure and get to see the church and here, your pastor, and boy, was I ever blessed. A great message. And I knew that the word that God had given me for today was right on because the funny thing is, when Kurt spoke, it was like really a 
God giving me confirmation all around. When Kurt spoke down in Edison Beach Baptist one time, he spoke on repentance and upon change. The message on the 16th here was actually um, Kurt speaking about, uh, Joe speaking about the redemptive power of God uh, to change lives. What are we doing here today? You know, why'd you come? Why'd you come out to River Bluff Baptist Church today? Didn't come to hear an Irishman. I'm not an Irishman, by the way. I'm an American now. I'm actually a southern man now, let me tell you that. <laughs> I love the South. Glory to God. My son Eric, you know, went to, what's the name of the place again? Charleston Southern University. So did your pastor. So did Jim Roden. All of them went to, you know, and it was Eric that got us to come here because he loved Civil War reenacting. He was a... We were very, you know, we were an interesting family when we did the Civil War reenacting. You know who I was in the Civil War reenacting in California? Oh, we had huge reenactments, big acting stage. I was Robert E. Lee's chaplain. How about that? My other son, Eric, who went to Charleston Southern, he fought for the Army of Virginia. You know, there was a guy in, from Cork City, Ireland called, oh, what was his name again? Eric will kill me. Um, he was actually a major general and uh, Patrick Claiborne and Lee said of him that he was a shining meteor in a cloudy sky. You know why? Because Claiborne rode at the head of his troops into every battle in the Civil War, and he died in one of the final battles at the head of his troops. How about that? What? Unfortunately, I do have to tell you, I have two other sons. <laughs> one of them fought for the 69th New York. Oops. The other one fought for... Lawrence, with Lawrence, Joshua Lawrence Chamberlain and the 20th Maine. But that's what got Eric so interested in the South, and he came here. And all we did years later was follow him. <laughs> and we came down here, we left California, we got tired of that place. Oh, we won't talk about that. We got tired of that place, and we came here, and we absolutely love it. We live in a place called Edisto. Or as they say down there, Edislo. And y'all up here would do well to learn a little from the Edda Slow, because it's much slower. When I drive into Charleston, I go, holy moly, I'm back in Ireland. <laughs> Small streets and people going at 100 miles an hour and everything. But, you know, we love it here. And Eric would be with me today, but he's not feeling too good. Sorry he couldn't make it. Um, but Charleston Southern, that's from whence we have come. Oh, yeah, that's what I wanted to tell you. Uh, I was listening to Pastor Joe on the 16th. I felt there was a follow-on because he was teaching, uh, as I said, Kurt, who just welcomed me, was talking about um, metanoia, about change and repentance. And one thing I always remember that he said when he was down there that time, he said, you know, the important thing to remember is you often think of repentance and metanoia and change and the Baptist preacher getting up and saying, it's time to repent. But he said, wait a minute. Forget that for a second. Though that's important, yeah. But repenting is every day, hourly. Do you know Billy Graham said he could fall on his knees a hundred times a day realizing the need for God at prayer in his life before he died? We need to be in that constant motion. So, so that was in place there as I came to do this today at this church. And knowing his association with it and really being blessed for that reason, like I just said, then listening to Pastor Joe and being well blessed by his message on the 16th here. And he talked about, you know, he was talking out at Genesis, and he talked about change and how change uh, is possible in people's lives. 
You could be changed here today. This could be your day to be changed. It might be the day for somebody listening or by whatever means in the future and come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and the joy and that blessing comes forth in your life because we're going to be dealing with joy today. That change that takes place. So what was he talking about? Well, Joe said, and I was blown away. I thought, I love this guy. I love this guy. He said, you know, uh, he was talking about, he said, you know, you, God can change anyone. We all have those people in our family, you know, <laughs> Thanksgiving and that. Uncle Joe who shows up, or Uncle, maybe not Joe, sorry. <laughs> Uncle Bob, oh, anybody who shows up, you know, and you go, hey. We all have someone like that in our families that we know they need change. And then Joe said, and if you're going right now, well, I can't think of anybody, you know. Be careful, it might be you. It's not me. I know someone in my family, but we can be changed. So then he went on to talk about Judah and Tamar. They are both in the messianic line of Christ. Tamar, by the way, do you know what Tamar's name means? Palm tree. She must have been mega elegant, you know. And then and Judah. Well, Judah, he lied to his father. Could have his brothers, his brother sold off into slavery. Um, you know, he, 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 uh, the list of things against him, he, so he was far from perfect. There's no question about it. Tamar, too, she took matters in her own hands. And yet, the power of God to change. Huh? Now, but you know the important thing is that we have a part to play in this. What do you mean? Isn't it all God? God did it? Yes, 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 yes. But he's given us free will. You have a decision to make today by being here, and that is, are you going to change? I'm going to tell you, if you're struggling with something today, you've come in here with something today, and uh, big problem. Here's the key. Change. Change. Here's the topic of our, subject, of our message today. Change your mind. Change your mind. If you change your mind, God will change your heart. Problem with something? How to deal with it? Struggling within. The way to victory is to change your mind, and God will come. So this is, if you like, a mini-seminar today. What? Seminar? You're not talking about Tony Robbins or something, are you? No, no. We have to examine what is a seminar. A seminar is a meeting on a specialized subject. What's our specialized subject? The book of Philippians. Would you open it up? Or if you have your phone, tick, tick, ticky-tock it in or whatever. The book of Philippians, guys, is uh, what we're going to do today in this little mini-seminar. Uh, I want to tell you a couple of things, kind of a heads up. This is a book of joy. When Paul wrote this book, no, he wrote this letter. He wrote it to the church at Philippi. I want you to see it as that this morning as we gather together here. See that, and don't worry, by the way, look, look, look at this, look at this piece of paper here. It says stop, it says start and stop. <laughs> So I know when I have to stop. So when I get to the place where the time's up, I'll just stop. It'd be like somebody pressed the button. Um, so that we will be within our time. But we do want to go through the entire book of Philippians. So I'm glad you brought your packed lunch. No, no, no. Just kidding. Like I said, we have our time laid out. But this is a powerful letter. I want you to see it as, what's he saying to you today? Why did he bring you? Why are you here? Why am I here? What did you come here for? We came here to hear from God, to be more like Jesus, and to be strengthened to go on in this walk and to share him with others. Isn't that why we're here? 
if we're here for any other reason. We're here to hear from the Lord today. And this letter to the Philippians is a letter of joy. You know, he's writing to them. He's not writing to them a letter where he's condemning them for things they haven't been doing and they should be doing. He's not writing to them where he's instructing them on points of doctrine. He's writing a love letter to them. Four chapters, a love letter to the people he loved at Philippi. In fact, he loves them so much, he says to them, you guys are so great. I'm 99% happy with you. Fulfill my happiness. Fulfill my joy. And he gives them how to do it. This is a letter about joy. Do you need joy? Can I ask you something, brothers and sisters? Look at that world out there. You can't go on the Fox News thing or anything. You're going, oh, it's such misery and, 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 and such gloom and sadness. We need more joy. If we go to church and we leave, we need to come to church and be filled with his joy. Do you know that Jesus, Hebrews tells us, was anointed with the oil of gladness, Hebrews 1.9, above all his fellows. Jesus had more joy than anyone else, and he wants us to have that joy. Can I say this to you? 30, 40 years in ministry. Honestly. Oh, we have our outreaches, and our, our group get-togethers, and our doing this in the community, and that in the community. I'll tell you one thing. If we don't start to smile and look like the happiest people on earth, I don't think we're ever going to win anyone. So many Christians, morose, gloomy, grumpy, like this, you know. Jeremiah, God told Jeremiah, don't worry, go and talk to them, and don't be afraid of their faces. Honestly, guys, joy. Do you know that Robert Louis Stevenson, what did he write? He wrote Treasure Island, Scottishman, ancestor, well, from, not my ancestor, but from my father's side of the family, from Scotland. And Robert Louis Stevenson said, as if declaring some great phenomena, I have been to church today, and I'm not depressed. In other words, ordinarily and normally, he'd be very depressed. Oliver Wendell Holmes, one of your very own, Oliver Wendell, playwright, Oliver Wendell Holmes, American, said, you know, I might have become a minister if so many of the ministers I had known didn't act and look so much like undertakers. That's why I'm endeavoring to break the mold. I do not want to look like an undertaker. <laughs> the joy of the Lord is our strength. Do I hear an amen? We are here today to get joy. Okay, okay, Johnny, you have a limited amount of time. I know that, Lord. Thank you very much for reminding me. Change your mind. You know, and by the way, just can I say this, whatever you're going through, I was talking, I looked over at Dean when I said this and knowing Dean's counseling aspect here in the church and everything, and he nodded in agreement with me, that honestly, the people who come to us for counseling or come for advice on what to do and what not to do. You'll never, you'll, you'll never, things will never change if you don't change. You can't change your wife. You can't change your husband. But you can change you. But nothing will happen if you don't. Really, basically, that's what I've learned in 40 years of ministry. So, change your mind. Now, mind is interesting. Uh, by the way, joy versus happiness, quickly. Joy Happiness is depending on circumstances. Joy is independent of all circumstances. Happiness comes and goes. You get the Maserati, but then you see the latest whatever, Mercedes. 
you, oh, no good anymore. For that one, you get the house you want. Woo! But then you see a bigger one. What happens? Happiness flees away. But joy never goes. And though you get a heart attack, or though you lose your legs this day, you can still have that joy because joy remains. Joy is not transient. It doesn't come and go. It's not depending on circumstances. You can have it all the time, good or bad. Excuse me, John Henry's all very fine and dandy. You don't know what I'm going through. You're talking about joy here today and about Paul and his letter and everything, and, but you don't know what... You know, things are probably all fine for you, but look at what's happening with me. Do you know when Paul wrote this letter? What was going on? He was chained to a Roman guard. He was in Rome, and he didn't know whether he was going to be beheaded or befriended by Caesar. Nero. <laughs> and he had joy. Say with me, guys, we're going to take a look through this here today, and we're going to see how to have that joy. You know, and I'm going to tell you something. It all depends on what's going on in your mind. The Change Your Mind seminar you're at today. Change your mind. Here's the deal. In the book of Philippians, we're going to go through, as I said, Four chapters, that's all. Four chapters in this letter. Four points. Four major ports that we're going to stop at and see what he has to say to us. And all the while, it's all about the mind. It's all what's going on in your head. You're being controlled by your mind. The mind is so important. The simplest message of Philippians is, it sets you free to be joyful like Jesus no matter what is going on in your life. That's the message. Book of Philippians, if you're taking notes, 16 times mentions joy. 15 times the mind. 10 times thinking. How do you think? The mind. Isn't that interesting? You can check this out in your own time. You'll find it to be true. So 16 times joy 15 times the mind, uh, and then 10 times thinking. Are you like me? Do you like quotes? I love quotes. I was quoting my favorite preacher recently, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, a Baptist, the greatest preacher since Paul, in my estimation. They said to me, by golly, John Henry, you're a very learned man. Have you read all the works of Spurgeon? You quote him so often? I said, boy, oh boy, those quotation books are great, aren't they? Kurt Spurgeon's quotation book, get his morning and evening. If you're a Baptist and you don't have it, I, I'll tell you, I'm ashamed of you. <laughs> Charles Haddon Spurgeon, morning and evening. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, whoa, powerful. His sermons, oh my gosh, man, absolutely wonderful. Well, listen to this. Here's a quotation for you. And watch me act this out for you. A man is not what he thinks he is but what he thinks he is. We are not who we think we are, but we think we are. Another one, your attitude affects your altitude. You walk out here today, griping, grumbling, complaining, moaning, that's exactly where you'll be going. You'll be crawling around the dirt with all that stuff. I want to soar like an eagle. I want to be free. Now, by the way, oh, Uno momento, por favor. That means one moment in Irish. Oh, just kidding. In Mexicano language. Spanish. I want to walk out of here today. You know, we want to walk out of here today soaring. That we came to church. Why? 
Why do we come? We just come because we're going to church, because the Baptist church is going to church today? Oh, no. Come to hear God's word, not necessarily to hear an Irishman who's now an American, who's a southerner, by the way, but we came to hear God. Could he speak through this weak vessel? Could it be possible that the Holy Spirit's moving here right now? And he's got something he wants to do in everybody's life? And there's somebody, some words are going to be for today. You're going to say to me, John Henry, you're going to do the whole book of Philippians? Yep. I'll never remember and all your points, and you told me four points, and I'd, I'll never remember them all. I'm not that smart, you know. I'll never. Oh, don't worry. I've good news for you. I'm good. You're all going to have the notes going home. I say, really? Are you going to give them now, or will we get them at the door on the way out? And, no, you have them already. You have this letter in your hand if you have a Bible, because it's all here. And you can read back over, exact, and you'll pick out exactly what I'm saying real easy because there's only four points, four major ports. Are you ready? Let's go. First one, the mind. How to know joy. How to have that 16 times mentioned joy. 15 times the mind. Are you ready? Number one, would you ever mark? Help me now, Lord. Don't give me a Rick Perry moment. Oops. Hope I can remember him. Number one, Philippians chapter 1 and verse 21. We're talking about the mind, remember? What does it say? For me, to live is Christ, to die is gain. What does that mean? That is right down beside 121, the simple mind. That's simple, isn't it? For me, to live is Christ. Oh, sorry, single mind, single mind. That's singular. For me, to live is Christ, to die is gain. Number two, chapter two, real easy. Chapter two, verse five. Let this mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. What was that? We'll look, we'll look in a moment. Number three, chapter three, verse 13. The simple mind. Huh. One thing I do, forgetting what's behind, I strain towards the goal, the prize, the high calling in Christ Jesus. Number four, chapter four, four point, four major port. Number four, chapter four, verses eight and nine. Finally, brethren, whatever is lovely, whatever is pure, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is just, whatever is of good report, meditate. How do you meditate? Mind. Meditate on these things. So we're going to look. In the time we have allotted to us, we'll never get it if I don't move on. We're going to look at these four things that he says here. But again, just before we go, picture yourself on an airplane. I want to give you some pre-flight information. Are you ready? Fasten your seatbelt. Tighten your helmet straps. Here we go. Listen carefully. Change your mind. You cannot change your heart. What goes on in your heart, what takes place in your heart, you cannot change that. I can't change my feelings, but I can change my mind. I can't change my heart, but I can change my mind. Now, God can change my heart, but he won't change my mind. He lets me decide how I choose to think. That's called free will. I can change my mind, but I can't change my heart. 
God can change my heart, but he won't change my mind. But if I change my mind, then God will change my heart. Please don't ask me to repeat it. I hope you've got the gist of it. And that is, whatever is going on in your life today, change your mind. Change your mind. Think differently. And God will take it from there. So the very first one we want to deal with today is, I told you, this single mind. 121. Look at 121. Look at 121. The single mind. Single mind. Very clearly given to us here where we are told, for me to live is Christ, he said, to die is gain. What are you living for? Now, oh, very quickly, I ain't preaching at you, brothers and sisters. This is exhortation. I need it too. And I have 30-something years in ministry. What this message is, is, guys, this is what exhortation means. Guys, don't we need to be doing this? See this? Look at this. Look at what he's saying in the letter. Don't we need to be doing this? Not you need to be doing this. Submit. Repent. Oh, no. Don't we need to do this? Live for Christ? What are you living for? Are you living for the weekend? Are you living for vacations? Are you living for... If I don't have my jacket off, I'll be dying. Sorry, hold on. I'm getting a bit hot. Do you mind? It's okay. Is it in the Baptist church? Take off your jacket. Good. What are you living for? Are you living for Christ? Listen to me. I want, look, okay. Well, John Henry, to be honest with you now, there's a lot of things. You see, I'm, I'm very busy. I have these other things as well. I do too. But you know what? Put him first. Would you ever write down Matthew 6, 33? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and everything else will be taken care of. I love that scripture. Put him first place. So that's what he's saying here. A single mind living for Christ. You know, our world today tells us to live for so many things. We look at all the famous stars and people. I had the great pleasure of meeting an Irishman here today, Rory O'Connor. No, he's nothing to do with Sinead, but he showed up. <laughs> Rory was, is here in this church. Would you believe that? An Irishman. We had a great time. And, um, you know, um, we were talking about, you know, the world too and about Ireland and here and everything and famous people and, you know, we're living for, you know, we were so happy that we've come to know Christ and Ireland, uh, so much religion, but so little of Jesus. It seems to me that as the island through the centuries was reaching up to be closer to God with their worship and their songs and their, and their beautiful words in religion, God came down to be with men in the form of Christianity, Christ, and we missed him on the way. And then you either had to be a Protestant in Northern Ireland or a Catholic in the South, perhaps with an Armalite rifle in one hand and an Uzi submachine gun in the other, and they wound up killing each other because of religion. Anyway, I'm deviating. Live for Christ. You know, <laughs> the world tells us the opposite. I was looking at Sinead, and I thought, oh, dear, oh, dear. My heart broke in a way. Such a tragic life. You know, she was miserable her whole life. She said that. Never knew really a moment's peace. Very little anyway. And her son dying, killing himself, and all the pain and all that. And I just thought, so many people, we look at these people. I want to live to be like that. I was involved in acting and dramas and societies. Did lots of plays. We did Shakespeare. We did lots of Irish playwrights. And I think I told the first, boasting a little bit, I, I got to do part of King Lear with Richard Burton one night. 
you know, we went back and forth. Uh, he had lots of it in memory, and so did I, and had association. I always thought to myself, oh my, oh my, I'd like to be. I admired Anthony Hopkins. I thought, wow, what an actor. I like him, Welshman. Uh, Burton, all these people. And, you know, the night I spent drinking with Richard Burton, with his wife Susie Hunt, the racing driver's wife, formerly, I saw one of the saddest men I ever saw in my life in 1978, two years before he died. And I thought, whoa. And he became so uncontrollably drunk. He was due to go on television the next night, the major television program in Ireland, and he couldn't even go on because he couldn't even stand up. And you look at Chanel Connor, and you look at, oh, I don't know, all of Robin Williams, he hung himself. Anthony Bourdain, the great chef, I love to cook. Wow, I admired that guy. Imagine, he'd gone all over the world having this, gone. Listen, the statistics are amazing. You've heard this many times. With regard to death, 10 out of 10 die. You're going to die from the youngest person to the oldest person here. That's the way it is. I'm going to tell you one thing. To live for fame, to die is pain. To live for gain, to die is pain. Only if you're living for Christ. Do you know that, help me Lord, Mo Mozart said that, 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 that death was the key that unlocked true happiness. You know when you come to die, back to where Joe was teaching from out of Genesis, you know in Genesis when Abraham found the Ephron the Hittite, he bought the cave of Machpelah from Ephron the Hittite to bury his wife Sarah because he loved her very much. Uh, big story about that. We won't get into that. We have time for it. But you know what Machpelah means? Machpelah, the burial site for Sarah. And Chuck Smith and I, and a whole group of us, we used to take nine buses to Israel every year out of Costa Mesa. Nine from one church filled to, to, to Israel every year. Went around all these sites with Chuck through the years. But you know, Machpelah. Machpelah means double doors. That's what death is. You go through one door, and the person is leaving you, they're dying, and you go, oh, goodbye. They go through the door. That's all you see. You just see them go through that door. But Machpelah is double doors. You don't see the other door that they walk through into heaven called fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore, absent from the body, present with the Lord. I told uh, some students recently that I got to talk to that in my ministry I had done 185 funerals and 125 weddings <laughs> over the years. But I think of all those people I buried, I didn't just bury them, I didn't just go along there, I ministered to them when they were dying, I was with them in the hospital. My life was in ministry in that shape, fashion, form, taking care of people in that way. And guys, it's going to be over. And when you're on your deathbed, or if something tragedy happened, we need to make sure that we're living for Christ. I told the first, I haven't really time to get into it now to go through some of these people, but you know, um, uh, so many of them living for the world. Brando said, when I come to die, I'm going to look around the room before he died, and I'm going to look around the room, and I'm going to say, what the H-E-L-L -L was that all about? Anthony Hopkins, the man I so admired. Anthony said, and he's like, so old now, I'm sure he can't act much. He said, you know, what did Anthony Hopkins say? He said, most of the movies I've done have been an absolute waste of time. I used to say it beat working for a living. I thought that was a joke, he said. But actually, the joke's on me. You know, 
you look at some of these people and you look at their lives and they were living for fame and when they're interviewed on, when they were interviewed on Larry King, that's what I, I, I gave up watching after this, and, and Piers Morgan, I gave it all up after that because I got sick of the world we've entered into. But they were all talking about their lives and their great success and their Oscars and their, and look how they die. So hopelessly lost. Nietzsche, Voltaire, all the great philosophers that were atheists killed themselves, wound up miserable at the end of their lives. Do you know one man, uh, Leo Tolstoy, I love literature, I like reading. Leo Tolstoy, you know, was drinking heavily all over, um, all over Russia, all over Moscow, drinking his head off. And he had, you know, miserable. But he had everything. He had written Anna Karenina. He had written War and Peace. He had written a confession. He was the most famous, they say today, Encyclopedia Britannica. He's probably one of the, uh, probably one of the writers that has the top three novels ever written in brilliant literature. And Tolstoy said, oh, hopefully I wrote it down somewhere. Tolstoy said before he died, is there any meaning in my life that will not be annihilated with the inevitability of death that awaits me. He said the only peace he found was looking at the peasant people of Russia in their simple faith in Jesus Christ. Listen, this gospel is so important. It's important that you receive it. If there's somebody listening to me right now, the sound of my voice, by whatever means, out from the future, wherever we land, whatever I get through to today, there might be somebody listening. I just got a, a, just a great sense within me to share this right now. You need to bow the knee to Jesus Christ and ask him to come into your life and take over your life and give your life to him. Because you don't know how long you've got on this planet. Again, back to, since I'm in a Baptist church, Charles Haddon Spurgeon. I'm so happy to be a Baptist. By the way, I am a Baptist. Let me make that clear. I'm now a Baptist, and I'm very proud of it. Because I actually realized that 40 years ago, I spoke in a Baptist church in Ireland. Sean Mullen was a Baptist minister. And I remember speaking in his church. I couldn't believe it. But you know, Spurgeon said, listen carefully, the hearing of the gospel, that's the words of one of your own now, was an Englishman, I was a Baptist. The hearing of the gospel involves the hearer in responsibility. Are you listening? Now you may smile and you think there's nothing very great in it. The damned in hell know. Oh, what they would give if they could hear the gospel now. The saved in heaven, estimated at a very high rate, realizing their place in glory, I can't remember the end of it, realizing their place in glory, that they're now with the Lord. There will come a day when you gasp your last. I saw so many people die in my ministry and life. Gurgle, 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 gone. Spurgeon said, Spurgeon said, the stopping of the heart for a single moment and you're in the eternal world. Remember, it's an eternal world wherever you go. Eternal in heaven or eternal in hell. Live, live Live, live for Christ and Christ alone. Put him first place in your life. Oh, all the other stuff, it's going to come and go. But you're going to need him one day. Maybe you don't now, but that day will come 
when you do need him. And you know, the important thing is to call out to him even right now while you have the energy and the strength to do so. I have many quotes here, but for time's sake today, we will not take the time to read through. I did find one thing that I thought that Count von Mölke, who was involved in the Kreisau Circle, 1944, July plot to kill Hitler. And Mölke headed up that Kreisau Circle. And Mölke wrote to his wife, imprisoned by the Gestapo, and said, I know that in view of today's experience, that God can also make these beatings seem as nothing even if I should not have one sound bone left in my body when they hang me, because he for death is ready, who living clings to thee. You're ready to die if you're holding tight to the Lord and holding on to him. So live for, if you, if you get nothing else out of this today, that we go out here and desire to live for Christ. I spent too much time in my life living for myself, even as a Christian. Living for Christ is living for others. Our second point, which we have to get to. So I want to move quickly here. I want to go to the second mind change. The second mind change. Change your mind. What was the first one? Live for Christ. Let that be the first. Number two, a submitted mind. Where do you get that, John Henry? Chapter 2, verse 5. What does it say? It says that this mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. That begs the question, doesn't it? What mind... Did Christ Jesus have? Why am I here today? To hear what the mind of Christ was. What would you to have and he wants me to have? And I get a little embarrassed when I read this because I haven't always lived up to this, uh, uh, but I want to. Look at what he says. How, what mind did Christ have? Look at chapter 2, verses 1 to 4. Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if there's any comfort of love, if there's any fellowship of the Spirit, if there's any affection and mercy. Hey, hey, church, listen. He's writing to the church at Philippi that he loves. But do you and I want to take that on board today? He's saying to you and he's saying to me, if you have any love, if you have any mercy, if you have any comfort of love, if you have any fellowship of the Spirit, if the fellowship of the Spirit is here today and he's in you and he's in me, that I don't need any attempt at eloquence or great preaching to drive this home. I could get up here and stutter and stammer. Do you know that's how Spurgeon came to Christ? Did you know that? Oh, oh I, won't, I won't look at any Baptists and ask them the question. I'll tell you how he came to Christ. There was a little boy of Baptist, Baptist parents in England, and he was about 17. I think he was younger, 15. And he wasn't going to church. He'd just gone out and he'd wander around and wouldn't go. And his parents wanted him to. So he wasn't going to church. He wasn't bothering with that. This 15-year-old. But he decided to wander into this church. Why not? And he went in. But the pastor who was normally there wasn't there. And they had to find someone and they didn't have anyone. So they got this guy to go up who was kind of, didn't really know what he was talking about and kept repeating himself. Sort of like today. Oh, no, no, hopefully not. They got, they got this guy to stand in for the pastor. They got this guy to stand in. He was kind of all over the place. Spurgeon was looking there listening. Golly, gosh. This guy just kept repeating the same Bible verse over and over and over again. From this guy who was hardly able to articulate or put two sentences together. And boom! 
the Holy Spirit drove it deep into Spurgeon's heart. The repetition of the Holy Scriptures. God, the power of God's Word was first spoken in Genesis 1-3. He said, let there be light, and he flung the universe into existence. That's the same power. That's the same aliveness that's in the Word of God. That's exactly the same today. Spurgeon came out of that church, bowed his knee to Christ at 15, and has gone on to touch the world for hundreds of years beyond his life. Hundreds of years beyond his life. Wow. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, a great man of God. Back on track. Fulfill my joy. Be like-minded. Same love. Let, oh, 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 this is where I tell you it gets embarrassing. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. Anybody not ticking that box? How often we can be our own importance, our own who we are, you know? Member of the Baptist, oh, no, it wasn't Baptist Union. I can't think of what he was, but he, he said once, how do you know if you are a servant? Answer, how do you feel when you're treated like one? <laughs> lowliness. Look what he says here. Look what he says here. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem himself others, uh, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but the interests of others. Oh boy. You get a photograph of a group of people and you're in it. Say, oh, look at that. You're in this, look at this. There's a photograph that we took yesterday, all of us together. Look, the only person you look at is you, right? Where am I? And if you don't look good, you say, that's a lousy photograph. I don't like that photograph. Doesn't matter who the heck, who's in that picture. I don't look good. The wide angle lens doesn't matter. Doesn't matter how many, if I'm not there, well, if, I'm not look, if I don't look good, oh my golly. Paul said, I'm gonna write down two names, Timothy and Epaphroditus. Do you know what Paul said about them? These two guys. Oh, you gotta read this book. You got the notes now. So you can read them all when you go home. Read Philippians, my favorite book of the Bible, to tell you the truth. Paul here says there's only two men that he met that were completely different. Really? Who? Timothy and Epaphroditus. Why is that, Paul? Because all the rest of them are full of the blight of self-interest. These are the only two I've ever met that care more about others than themselves. Now, I'll tell you one thing. If you're jumping out of your seat saying, that's me too, and that's me three, <laughs> I'm slipping out the back door because I'm in the wrong place. Guys, let's be honest. So, what are you saying? We can't do that? We want a desire to do that. I want to. So you've, you're ticked with somebody right now. I'm a problem with your wife, your husband, your children, your family, your someone, something. I know we're ready to, at the drop of a hat, talk about them and where they need to be changed. That uncle that Joe Still was talking about. Hey, love on him. I love that expression to you, love on him. Just love him, you know. Hey, brothers and sisters, I don't find that easy either. But I'm telling you, what are you doing at River Bluff today? You're not here to hear what, oh, uh, you know, you're going to any bar or pub, you could sit up with, no, I hope you're not, but if you were going and guzzling away, you could sit up with a bunch of other miserable people all sharing about how terrible it all is. Tell me more about how bad your life is. Oh, let me tell you what happened to me. No, we're a church. We want to change. We want to change. We want to be different. We want to walk out of here today with a changed mind, with four portions of Scripture, 
that God will affect that change in our lives. Where are we? Help me, Lord. So guys, he says here, esteem others better than yourself. You know what? Look, look it says here, no self-ambition, no self-importance, and no self-centeredness. Before I was a Christian, it was my life. I was wealthy. I had money in the 70s in Ireland. I owned a couple of shops. I had houses. I had a Mercedes. I had a TR7 British Lady sports car. I was a member of several golf clubs, and I had a lot of stuff going for me. But it was empty. Nothing going on. It was all about me. But I'll tell you, when I first became a Christian, and I, I still struggle. Oh, no, let me make that clear. We move out of the world where we're selfish old things, selfish, self-centered people in the world. My life, my business, my house, my car, my acting, my money. We become Christians. My church, my Bible, my pastor, my uh, spiritual devotions, my life with Christ, my, 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 my. Oh, I don't know, John Henry, doesn't it say we're to have a personal relationship with Christ? Yep. Absolutely. Signed, sealed, and delivered. I agree. But be careful that you don't go out from that place into your own little cocoon, into your own little world. We are to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. We are to personalize him, but we are not to individualize him just for me. If he makes that change in your life and that natural progression is not by the power of God going through you to want to reach others, whoa, you're either asleep or almost dead as a Christian. We've got to be the happiest people on earth, like I said earlier, and we've got to be overflowing in that love to others. Sometimes, by the way, can I tell you, it takes risks. Because when you do step up and you step out, the reason we don't do it is because we don't want anyone to touch my cocoon. You have to be ready to gamble. You have to be, do you know that, I have time to tell you one story. Do you know that the early church, do you know what they were known as? The gamblers. Were they? The gamblers? Yep. Because they would go into places where there were infectious diseases and all kinds of things, and it didn't bother them at all. They were ready to give it all for Christ. Are you ready to want to give it all for Christ? There's a lovely story, and I love I told you. There's a beautiful story. We have a few minutes there in Shakespeare again, where Shakespeare, Portia was a beautiful girl in The Merchant of Venice, and her dad wanted the perfect husband for her. There were many suitors, but what he did was he got three caskets, and into each one of those caskets he put a portrait of Portia. And whoever would pick the casket with the portrait of Portia would get her hand in marriage. There was a gold casket, there was a silver casket, there was a lead casket. On the gold casket was written, who chooseth me shall gain what many men desire. On the silver casket was written, who chooseth me shall get as much as he deserves. On the lead casket was written, who chooseth me shall give and hazard all. Well, along came the Prince of Morocco full of selfish ambition, and he walked right over to the gold casket. Who chooseth me shall get what he desires. And he threw open the gold casket to look for the portrait of Portia, gold. And inside, he found written the immortal words of William Shakespeare. All that glitters is not gold, only my outside to behold. Then the other guy, the Prince of Aragon, full of self-importance and full of, uh, 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 you know, um, pomposity, and all, he walks over to the silver casket. He throws it open. It said, who chooseth me shall get what he desires. 
The Prince of Aragon threw it open, the silver casket gleaming in the midday sun. He threw it open. Inside was a picture of a blinking idiot with the words of Shakespeare, with one fool's head I came to woo, but now I go away with two. And he crawled away. But then Bassanio, who loved Portia, and Portia loved Bassanio, threw open the lead casket, who written on the lead casket was that anyone who chose this one would be, have to be willing to give and hazard all they have. Opened the lead casket, and there was the picture of Portia. The one Shakespeare, Shakespeare, making it clear that the one who gets all is the one who's willing to hazard all. You haven't been used, maybe, brother. You haven't been used, maybe, sister. We haven't been used, maybe, because we're locked into our own little world. Others, 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 the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitted mind to Christ. We're just going to give you these last two today because I feel God had me. We're coming on in our time, but the last two. Number three, the simple mind. So what have we got? We've got the single mind, to live for Christ, to die is gain. The submitted mind. Your mind submitted to Christ when you go out of here. The, single, the simple mind. What's that? Look at chapter 3, verse 13. In chapter 3, verse 13, he tells us, one thing I do. That's simple. Only one thing. What's the one thing you're to do? Forget what's behind. Strange. There's somebody listening to the sound of my voice right now or later time from now, and you're living in the past. You need to get out of the past and strain towards the goal. Like a runner in a race, racing to win the race. We come to church, we're involved in our Christian life, and we kind of do it in a kind of a nonchalant, laissez-dare, sort of relaxed kind of fashion. Oh, I'm going to church, I live for Christ. Hey, give it all. I believe that's a message for all of us today to desire with all our hearts, to give it all to Christ. Look out to the future. In Marin, when I pastored up in the Bay Area of Northern California, I used to tell the congregation on New Year's Eve, turn around, look the other way. They'd all turn around. That's easy. You don't have to look at me. Look the other way. Now put your hands up and wave and say goodbye to the past. I'm done with your past. You're over. Thanks for everything I learned from you, the good, the bad, and the ugly, but I can't stay back there with you anymore. Now look to the future. Lord, I'm on my way home. Help me to strain towards the goal. Not be just some lily-livered person wandering and drifting around. I am living for Christ. I am submitted to the will of Christ in my life. And I'm leaving the past behind. Fourth point, are you ready? Fourth chapter, fourth major port, fourth one, here you go. He says, finally, brothers. No, he doesn't say finally, brothers. He does, I think, yes. Finally, brothers, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, uh, Philippians chapter 4, verses 8 and 9. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good report, whatever is virtuous, meditate the mind on these things. Can I say this to you? One of the things that will hinder you changing your mind and meditating on good things is Netflix, Amazon Prime, Hollywood, Movie Land. Oh, John Henry, you're being very legalistic here. No, 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 no. I enjoy a good movie too, okay? Loud and clear. Watch it. Watch what you're sowing in. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So much foul language, so much sexuality, so much weird stuff on all kinds of levels going on now today. You know, they're saying now that uh, next year or whatever, 
any, any movies that are coming out of Hollywood can never win an Oscar unless they're including all these other ways of life and lifestyles. They won't even get to appear on the Oscar stage. Guys, we got to be careful. You know, what we're putting in through the eye gate and the ear gate. Finally, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are good, whatever things are pure, look at these words when you're reading over your notes later. Look at each one of these and say, am I doing this? And again, finally should mean finally. And I'll be careful with that. And so I'm going to give you as a finally, finally. Just one more, I promise. My last finally for you today is found in verse 9. He says, these things that you have learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the peace of God will be with you. Now, I love that little two-letter word. This is what I'm closing with, D-O. We're here today. God brought this, probably sound like a guy from another planet to you with my accent. God brought this guy here today, privilege of standing in for Pastor Joe. But I believe he has a purpose in it. And I would not be here for any other reason. I assure you, unless I felt that God had a purpose in this. And he's telling us what we've learned today from Philippians. Paul said, make me 100% happy. This is what I want you to do. Live for Christ. Be submitted to the mind of Christ. Forget the things that are behind. There's too much to do ahead. And, and don't, be, don't be getting into all this other stuff. Meditate on what's pure and lovely. <gasps> Thank you, Lord. And finally, do it. Now, that's the King James. The NIV says, that's the nearly inspired version. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Don't close your... The new Irish version. No, 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 no. The NIV, and I like the NIV too in another way. I love the King James because of the scholarship and the putting of it together, I have to admit, you know, that will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. I mean, how can you beat that? It's beautiful language, right? Especially when you love literature and plays and things. Anyway, but it's all God's word. My point to you is, he says here, do. The NIV says, listen, 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 put it into practice. I, do you know why I like that? Because sometimes I have a problem doing. But if I put it into practice, then I can do. Final story. My dad and I, St. Andrews, Scotland, 1978. We went. My dad was a, practically a scratch, scratch golfer and taught golf. He was a talented musician. He was a conductor of orchestras. He was a writer of music. Uh, he was a lot of things. And uh, we went to Scotland, and we went around. And he was actually down one night putting with Aoki, the Japanese great golfer, handed my dad his club and said, well, show me. Show me, Bill. My father said, I'm going. We met Tony Jacklin. We met Arnold Palmer. We met Gary Player from South Africa. We met them all through my dad. We got entry to the Royal and Ancient. We had a wonderful time. My point is this. Dad loved Nicholas. He said to me, John Henry. Yes, father. My dad, by the way, is part Scottish. He was tall and skinny. A bit like you there, Dean. He was trim, you know. He was about six foot one or two. I was always looking down on me. He was constantly saying to me, John Henry, stand up straight. I couldn't do it. He walked like this, you know, Scottish. And skinny and tall and everything and very direct about everything. Poor old John Henry. I was more like the Henry. I was more like my mother's side, unfortunately. I never quite lived up to all of his expectations. Anyway, but he loved me playing golf and believed I had a great talent for golf. I was only one thing missing, and that was my temperament. I'd go crazy if I didn't sink a putt. You know, I was one of those guys. 
But my dad and I got back to Tipperary. Oh, dear, look at the time. My dad threw out all the golf balls at 6.30 in the morning, early hours of the morning. All the golf balls in front of the ninth green. Handed me a wedge, a nine iron, pitching club, and a seven iron, close the face and run him in, run him in. And he said, go. I said, what do you want me to do, Dad? John Henry, put into practice what you saw in St. Andrews. When you swing the club, when you do the putting and the chipping, do what Nicholas did. Put it into practice. And suddenly, those balls were going boom, closer and closer, until they went into the can, many of them. We are called at the close today, brothers and sisters. We have heard God's word. We believe God's word. We affirm it to be so. Now we're going to ask God to give us the wherewithal by the power of the Holy Ghost, by the power of the Holy Spirit, to come upon us right now. Father, Father, Father God, would you do it? Thank you, Lord, for the bit of fun we had today. We enjoyed your word today. We love you, Lord. We ask for a double portion of your joy in this joyless, miserable world we're living in today. We ask for a double portion of joy and blessing, and we pray that the word we've had, heard today, would not just have gone in here, but by the hearing of it in our mind, that you would cause it to go deep in our hearts and affect that change. Whatever you want to do, here we are available. We came to River Bluff today. We came to hear from you. We pray that God, through the weak vessel before you here, but through the power of your word, you have moved among us. And those changes that need to be made, that you would come by the power of your spirit, touch every life that's open right now, that wants it right now, to receive it right now. And if there are those resisting, Lord, you would bring them broken to the foot of the cross. If there's someone listening that doesn't know you, we pray, Heavenly Father, you would cause them this day to have been touched by you, not by a speaker, not by a church, not by a pastor, touched by you. And that person right now is responding and saying, God, forgive me for my sin. I turn from it all. I want to live for you from this day on. I want to put you first place in my life. I want to completely submit to your Lordship, to the mind of Christ now in me. I want, Lord, forget the past and to leave it behind and to go forward with you with all the energy and strength of your Holy Spirit leading, guiding me and directing me. And, oh, Lord, help me to shun everything that's not pure and lovely and right and beautiful and clean. Won't you come, Lord Jesus? And all that not as an end in itself. But, Lord, you might use me. Whether I'm 15, 5, 15, 50, or beyond, I will go forward now like never before with the wings of the Spirit and you using me, Lord. That change that you've made in my life, you will use me to see that change affected in the lives of others. Ah, won't you let it be so, Father? In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's family said, Amen. God bless you guys. Love you. <laughs>